0: We began a series a few weeks ago with you called, What Did Jesus Do? WDJD. So, we're going to continue that this morning. So, would you take your Bibles, go to the book of Second Corinthians, the first chapter. As you're doing that, let me greet our uh, campuses that are joining with us today. We're glad you're with us, and we're thankful that God has brought you together with us, and we're asking today that you get ready to receive what God has for you. My name is Eddie Couples, and I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Church, and we're excited that you're with us today. So let's see what God is going to say and we begin talking about what did Jesus do a few weeks ago uh, as we begin to approach this subject we talked about the whole aspect of Passover how that in the old testament the word of god says uh, that god took the children of Israel, and he led them out of Egyptians' bondage. But before he did that, there was this happening that was referred to as Passover. And what that was about is is that God had sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel. Uh, Moses went through a series with Pharaoh trying to get him to let God's people go. He would not. There was a series of plagues that came upon the nation uh, of Egypt and at the end of it God said there's going to be one more and after that the king is going to let the people go and that was that I'm going to God said I'm going to send the death angel and he is going to kill the firstborn of every family but he said if you will slay a lamb and if you will take the blood and you will put it above your doorposts and on the lintels and on the threshold he said when the when the death angel sees the blood he will pass over you And so that's exactly what happened. On that night, when the death angel went throughout the nation of Egypt, what happened is, is that every place that the blood of the Lamb was not put, there was someone who died. But if the angel of God saw the blood on the door, the angel passed over. And here's what God said about Passover. He said this, this whole aspect of Passover is a feast and a celebration that you are to do perpetually every year you're to come together and to have a Passover feast. And if you know anything about uh, the Jewish people, still to this day, they celebrate Passover. Now, we celebrate Passover as well, but we call it Easter. It's the exact same thing. It happens at the same time of year that Passover happens. In fact, the New Testament in the book of Corinthians tells us that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. And so instead of asking, WWJD, what would Jesus do? What we've been looking at over the past few weeks is, is what did Jesus do? What did he do in our lives? As our Passover lamb, what has he brought to us uh, in our lives? Last week, uh, we, we talked about uh, that Jesus Christ uh, saved us from our sins, that, that there's this whole aspect. If you, again, uh, remember uh, that there's the aspect of when they come together to partake of the, uh, of the cup. Uh, that there's not just one cup that is taking place in the supper, that literally that there are four different cups and each of those cups represents something different that Jesus Christ does for us. And last week we talked about the cup of salvation or uh, another uh, interpretation there is the cup of sanctification. And we talked last week about how uh, that it only took a couple of days or so to get the people out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt. Out of them. Right? Salvation is quick. Amen. You confess, you believe. Right? Salvation is quick. But sometimes there's the process of sanctification that has to happen in our lives. So last week we talked about the cup of salvation. This week we are going to talk about the cup of deliverance. That not only does God save us um, in our sins, but literally God saves us from our sins. He saves us to deliver us. He didn't just, say, he didn't just come along to the children of Israel and say, well, I'm going to make things better for you. Right? I mean, there's a lot of people who say, well, if God would just make things better for me. No, He doesn't want to make things better for you. The Word of God says He wants to make all things new. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new for you. So today we're going to talk, here, here's the subject today. If you're taking notes, I want to write this down. I'm going to talk today about set them free, all right? Set them free. That's what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He set us free, Right? How many of you have heard the scripture? Whom the sun sets free is what? Free. free indeed. So Jesus Christ came to set us free, this, this cup of deliverance. Now, look in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, and verse 10. And, and it's interesting what this one verse gives us. It says, Who delivered us from so great a death? So there's a deliverance. And does deliver us in whom we trust that he will deliver us. Now, that's interesting. What it's saying here is that he has delivered us, he is delivering us, and he will deliver us. That's the cup of of deliverance. That's where we are today is understanding that the Passover is all about deliverance. It's all about coming out of where we have been and Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. In one scripture, in this passage that I read to you, in this one scripture today, we have the word of God that lets us know that God is our deliverer. You and I have the opportunity today to walk in the freedom that Jesus Christ came to give us because he is our deliverer he has set us free and again I am so glad whom the sun sets free is free indeed now there's three aspects of this deliverance and that's what I want to spend today on are the different aspects of deliverance that the word of God talks about uh, there's the past deliverance there's there's what God has done for us how many of you know God's done some things for you in your past amen there, there, there's what He's taken care of uh, in your past. The book of Isaiah, uh, the 53rd chapter, verse 4 through 6 says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now watch. But He was wounded, past tense, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now here's what the scripture's saying. Jesus Christ has already paid the price. I have been delivered. Uh, for, uh, First Peter talks about uh, uh, that th- through the stripes that were laid upon his back, we have been delivered. It's, it's already a, a done deal. It's taken place. It's a past tense that's happened in our lives. Now, that scripture there in Isaiah is quite interesting. It says, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, I want to tell you, that covers every aspect of your past life transgressions are your sins he was wounded for our transgressions how many of you have ever sinned come on I'm waiting all right if you see anybody that didn't raise their hand they just sinned <laughs> they just lied in church all right there you know the, the word of God's quite clear there's only been one perfect one and they crucified him All right? So he was wounded for our transgressions. Those things that I have committed, those, those acts, those, uh, uh, those falling short of the, of the glory of God and the law of God, uh, all that sin is, sin just means to miss the mark. There's a mark that God has placed for us. And so when I miss that mark, I have sinned. The Bible says that if, if you're guilty of one point of the law, guess what? You're guilty of all. Have, have you ever watched people kind of feel superior to somebody else because they didn't commit the same kind of sin? Well, I would never do that. Well, you, you, you just messed up because you just got prideful in that sin. Right? I mean, and, and, and pride, the Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so and so we, we just, I mean, anytime, anytime that you kind of get this attitude that you're better than somebody else, you know, if you drive by on the street corner and a guy's sitting out there, you know, blitzed out of his brain with a sign saying, you know, homeless, and, and you drive by and say, I can't believe people be in that kind of shape. You, you just judged. Oh, Wow. And so you're you're as guilty as the guy who's whatever they're doing. And so we've got to come to that place of understanding that he was wounded for our transgressions. Those things that we did in our past, Jesus Christ has already paid the price. What did Jesus do? He took care of my transgressions. So he has delivered me from my sin. But not only has he taken care of my transgressions, the word of God says he was wounded for my transgressions, he was bruised for my iniquities. That word iniquity is an interesting word when you begin to look at it. it it's not something that we, re, we use in everyday uh, you know, conversation—it's not something we talk about. But the best way that I can describe iniquity to you, because here's what the Word of God says: the Bible says that the iniquities of the father are visited to the third and the fourth generation. And then there's another place that says that the iniquities are visited for 100 generations. Now that's a, that's that's a bunch, right? And so when we look at this thing about iniquity. How many, of you, how many of you have children? Come on, hold your hand up for a second. All right, let me ask this question. Have you ever said something to your child and they said this? Well, that's not fair. Oh, yeah, I guess you have. Well, Dad, that's not fair. Mom, that's not fair. So and so, it's not fair. See, iniquity is not fair. Iniquity is not something you've done. It's something that's been visited upon you. Oh, wow. We we would call it, here's the best way I know to, to tell you what iniquity is. Iniquity is a propensity towards a certain type of sin. There's a bent. How many of you know that if you take, when, when, a, when a tree is small and it's just a sapling, how many of you know if you bend that tree and tie it at an angle that, that after a, a year or so you can take that, that string off and that tree will still grow crooked? That's iniquity. David said, I was born in sin, I was shapen in iniquity. See, everybody in here, everybody listening to me today, every one of us have iniquities that have come through the lineage before us. And I want to tell you, it's not fair. I mean, they're, they're different things. Some of you came from families that there was iniquity with alcoholism. And and you'll look back in your family, and you'll see great, great so-and-so had a problem with alcohol, and then great so-and-so, and and, and it just comes down through the lineage. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, you you get to be an adult, and all of a sudden, you're struggling with alcohol. And you say, well, I don't know why that is. Why is that happening in my life? Because there's an iniquity in your life. Wow, it gets quiet when I start really doing good preaching. See, all of us, all of us are bent. Well, you you don't come into this world without being bent. Well, I I, I just showed up and everything was wonderful. No, you were born in sin and you were shaping in iniquity. I, I mean, some people have the iniquity of just being lazy. Right? I mean, come on, you, you, you can literally. Now, we, we talk about the sociological aspects of it, we talk about the physical aspects of it, we do, but there's another dimension that we don't talk about, and there, that is the spiritual aspect. Yes, there are, there are sociological ramifications. Yes, there are physical ramifications. But we are, the Bible says, we are spirit, soul, and body. So just as much as the home life and as the culture you grew up in shapes you, there is a spiritual dynamic that comes along. There are some of you who struggle with anger. And and it's been a lifelong struggle in your life. It's been something that 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 it just at the moment I mean and, and I don't mind telling you, that was I think that was an iniquity in my life. I think that was an iniquity from, from the lineage before me, because I know that my grandfather was a very angry man and I know it, it just passed on. And as a child, I was an angry I mean, even into adulthood, I, just like this, I can, and I still can. I'm doing much better. I'm doing a whole lot better. But I still have to be careful because I know that there's an iniquity in my life that's been visited down through the generations, and, and that that is, is not something that I want to be a part of. And so the Bible says that not only, and, and you need to, you, you need to be released in this today because a lot of you continue to struggle even after you become Christians, and you say, I don't know why I've got this struggle. Well, the deliverer has delivered you from that iniquity, and what you've got to do is you've got to rest in what Jesus Christ has done for you. All right, does that make sense? So so grab a hold of that today. And then it says, uh, he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And that peace is the whole aspect there uh, of depression and oppression and fighting through and, and, and not being able to, to live. It's, the, the word of God says that he'll give you peace. The Bible says he'll give you peace that passeth understanding. And what you've got to do, when, when you feel depression coming on, you've got to go to that place and say, God, today I receive your peace. You have already delivered me from depression. You have already taken care of all of these things from my past. This spirit of fear. The Bible says the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's what we've got to hold on to. And so we go back and say, Lord, I'm struggling today. And so therefore, what did Jesus do? Jesus gave me the ability to have peace in my life. And then the Scripture says, and by His stripes we were healed. And I understand that, uh, you know, theoretically in the future we're all going to be whole and healthy, but I also believe that I have the right to receive healing now. I believe I can ask Jesus Christ to heal me from every sickness and from everything that's going on in my life, and I believe that he is Jehovah Raphael, the Lord God, our healer. You say, well, pastor, why do people not get healed? Well, I don't have all the answers, but here's what I know is, is that according to 1 Peter and according to Isaiah, the stripes were laid upon his back for our healing, and I want to hang on to that. And I tell you what, I'm going to continue to preach healing. I'm going to continue to believe healing because Jesus Christ, past tense, has already delivered me from sickness. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, The Word of God continues to go on, and and it, it talks to us in the book of Hebrews, the fourth chapter. So that's the past, but now let's look at the present deliverance. Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our Confession. Now, let me stop for a second. I'll be quick with this, but you need to be careful what you say. The Bible says you're snared by the words of your mouth. The Word of God says there's power of life and death in the tongue. What you speak matters. And so the Word of God there talks about that we've got to hold fast our confession. What confession? That we've been saved, that we've been delivered, that we've been set free from the bondage of sin. Verse number 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. Now think about that. The Bible says Jesus Christ was tempted. Whatever your temptation is, Jesus was tempted that way. Now that ought to make you better. That ought to make you feel a little wow. Have you ever heard, had somebody say, well, if you think it, you might as well do it? That's the dumbest statement in the world. I mean, I've thought of killing people before, but thank God I didn't do it. I mean, I didn't think about it long, so don't judge me too harshly. I, you know, I mean, the, the, the Scripture lets us know that Jesus was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to have the wrong thought. It's not a a sin uh, to be tempted to do something that you know you shouldn't do because Jesus was yet without sin. Verse 10, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now, the scripture is quite clear there that we had a past deliverance, but now we have a present deliverance. We now are able. The, the Scripture says that there is no temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there is no temptation that is overtaking you except such as co- is common to man, to humanity. I've had people say, well, you, you just don't know what it's like. You, uh, nobody else is tempted like I am. No, the Bible says it's a common thing. But it goes on to say, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Hallelujah. I heard years ago that Mother Teresa said she wished God didn't trust her so much. God said, you know, you'll be able to bear it. And, and, and so I think some of us kind of experience that. But, but here's what I want to talk to you about. Everybody experiences temptation. That's where present deliverance comes in. Not only have we been delivered from the past of sins, but we've also been delivered in the present with temptation. Now, I won't make you raise your hand, but I know good and well every one of us are tempted. Now, the temptation may not be the same thing. You know, we can think of the big temptation, you know, to commit adultery, uh, you know, to get drunk, to to go, you know, and and, and what, we, we, we name the big stuff. But listen, temptation is the little stuff, too. In fact, the Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine, those little bitty things. It's that temptation to tell somebody, say, well, I told a white lie. I said, what's the difference in a, a lie is a lie? Well, it was a little lie. No, a lie is a lie. It's not little big, it's a lie. Amen? I mean, you know, that's like I committed a little adultery. (laughs) No, you can't. And it's, I need to break that down for y'all, did you get it? Thank you. Um, And so what we have to do is we have to come back. First of all, we have to establish a couple of things real quickly. Number one is you have to establish that temptation is common, that you're not experiencing anything that other people aren't experiencing. If we were were to totally get honest, the Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, we don't want to do that today. Right? Right? But if we ever were to get just really real with one another, if we ever took the mask off, what we would find out is is that we're all struggling with the same stuff. We could could pretty well get it in about six or eight categories and everybody would fit in one of those categories. Okay, we can put it in three. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. One of those three you're going to fit in. It's it's just part of it's it's part of where we're at, and so we we've, we've got to understand that temptation is common. Now let me ask this question, and, and I want everybody to think when I ask the question: How many of you have ever been tempted and yet you didn't sin? Would you hold your hand up? You got tempted, but you didn't fall. Fall that. I hope that's everybody. Hope that's all of y'all watching. I mean that, right? I got tempted, but I didn't do it. Now what's the difference? And when I get tempted and I don't fall, and I get tempted and I do fall, what's the difference? The difference is not understanding the faithfulness of God. See, temptation is common, but you've got to understand, according to Scripture, God is faithful. And so when I come to that place of allowing God to be faithful in my life, then I will stand in the midst of temptation. When I don't understand that God is faithful is when I fail. The Bible says that in your weakness, he becomes what? Your strength. And so what you have to do is, when you get tempted, you know, the scripture says, if, if, if we're tempted or if we sin, that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And I've had people say, well, you have to sin every day. No, you don't. Now, most of us do. But you don't have to, right? You say, well, I, I, th- I think you do. Really? Can you go a minute without sinning? Anybody can go a minute. I got anybody for a minute? All right. <laughs> Praise God. Any of you can go for a whole hour? Uh-oh, I hang- got, <laughs> got less response on that one. Come on, you're at church. Can you go? Come I on, church there shouldn't be too many temptations. At church, you can go a whole hour, you know, and, and not sin, and th- and then you string those together. Uh, and, and what happens is, is, how do we do that? We do that by understanding that God is faithful, and and that we that that He is bringing present deliverance into our lives, and that there the Scripture says that there is a way out. There is a way out. Our problem is we don't look for the way out. Our problem is we get so caught up. In the in the moment have you ever been so uh, driven in when you're out driving and you're, you're so focused that you miss where you're supposed to turn right I mean you're, you're just you're doing the deal um, I, I was in Nashville recently and, and I was GPS again I'm not even going to go there but it I was, I was trying to follow the GPS, and, and it was trying to tell me to turn, and, but I didn't see the road. And, and the next thing I know, I'm past the road because I'm focusing so hard trying to see the road that I missed the road. <laughs> and, and that's kind of what it is a lot of times with sin, is that the Lord, is the Bible says He will provide a way of escape. But our problem is, is we're so focused on driving that we miss the off-ramp. And so what I've got to do, when I get, temp- when I get tempted, it doesn't matter what its temp- t- temptation is, when I get tempted, I need to be looking for the off-ramp. I need to be looking for the way of escape that the Scripture says God is going to give me. And again, you, you just told me that you have successfully defeated temptation before. I've had people say, Pastor, you know, I went three whole months and didn't smoke a cigarette. But then I got tense, and I got nervous, and I picked another one up. Yeah, okay, lay it back down and start all over. You went for three months. You can do three months again. Right? Well, Pastor, whatever the issue is, it's it's that whole aspect of you can do it. You have done it. You know that you can defeat it. But our problem is is that when the off-ramp comes, we are so concentrating, we miss it. So there's a present deliverance that God has for your life. But it doesn't stop there. There's also a future deliverance, and I want to close with this today. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, beginning in verse 51, and I know I'm reading a lot of scripture today, uh, but I want you to get it. He said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, talking about our body, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now I want to tell you, there is a future deliverance coming. There is coming a day whether it is through the grave or through what the church is referred to as the rapture or the catching away of the bride of Christ, there is coming a day where Jesus Christ is going to come for all of us who are called according to His purpose. And we are going to be delivered. And you know what? When we get delivered from this body, from this world, no longer are we going to have to face the enemy any longer. We are going to be set free. Uh, the, the book of 1 Thessalonians talks about that we are sons of light and sons of the day and we are not of night and we are not of darkness. And, and so we've got to live. We've got to be living as the children of light. Day in and day out, we must express ourselves as the children of light. That God, we are living for you and we are being obedient to you. Now what does it mean, and, and, and get this, what does it mean to be a child of light? If we're looking for that future deliverance, What does it mean? It means to be a child of light means that we are alert and self-controlled. We're watching. The Bible says to watch for that day. Now, I I don't know about you, but and I don't want to go too far here because I'm not a person who spends a lot of time on end-time prophecy. But I want to tell you, if you've watched the news or read the paper lately, and you look at what's happening not just in America, but you look at the turmoil that is throughout the world financially, it ought to make those of us who are believers lift up our eyes because our redemption draweth nigh. If all the understanding of those who have have spent years studying this that talks about that before the Lord returns or when the Lord returns or however your theology says it, but that there is going to be a, a person of sin that arises called the Antichrist, and that that Antichrist is going to rise for one reason, and that is because there's going to be an economic meltdown and there's going to be turmoil throughout the world because of the economic meltdown. I want to tell you, it could happen like that. I mean, we've got countries all over the world that are defaulting right now, left and right, and it's not just America is in a mess, it is that the world is in a mess. And so could it be and I'm not again I'm not a prophecy preacher, but could it be that we are the generation that is going to usher in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and if it is so are we really praying so then come Lord Jesus are we really asking him to come quickly or are we kind of saying, well you know you know are, are we kind of in that that sense of that story that Jesus told of of the ten virgins that were watching for the wedding feast. And the Bible says that as they waited for the, groom, for the bridegroom to come, that they all slept and they all slumbered. They all kind of got caught up in, in the goings-on of the day. But it said suddenly the bridegroom came. And there were five who had oil in their lamp. And they were ready for the bridegroom, but there were five who had grown so accustomed to just living in the world that they weren't even looking for the return of the bridegroom. And the Bible says they finally got to the house and they knocked on the door, but the bridegroom said, I've already shut the door, and the wedding feast is already in preparation. You can't come in. Now I want to tell you, it's going to be sad to be lost from anywhere. But it's really going to be sad to be lost from a Christian church. And how many people who don't understand the deliverance that God has given us are just living life, going through the routine, not understanding the finished work of Jesus Christ. Just acting as it's just another day, another time. No, we live in a time where I believe our future deliverance is drawing near. And we've got to be ready. And we've got to be alert. And we've got to be self-controlled. And we've got to say, Lord, we're looking for your return. We're ready for you to come. And so the Word of God says, what did Jesus do? Jesus took that cup of deliverance and he set us free. And I don't know about you today, but I am thankful for the freedom that Jesus Christ has given. But here's what I want to say to you. I know, because I've been doing this a long, long time, that there are some of us here today who, if we were honest, we would have to say, you know what? I know what the cup of salvation is, but I've never experienced the cup of deliverance. I'm still struggling. I'm still going through the same old thing. I want to tell you, there is a power that is greater than anything you can imagine that can help you to move into the deliverance that God has for you.